You're listening to the Private Practice Workshop Podcast, and I'm your host, John Clark, helping you get more clients, make more money, and master private practice. Could be in that order, could be in uh, a different order, who knows? If this is your first episode with us, um, welcome, happy to have you. I'm a licensed counselor just like you, turned into a private practice consultant and entrepreneur and all sorts of other things, but I'm trying to keep that, that short, right? Uh, keep the descriptors short, more focused. Uh, I hope you're well today. I want to give you a couple really quick announcements. The first big one is that uh, after this episode, we're going on a bit of a break. We're taking a holiday break, as you should too. That means uh, we'll take a break here from the normal weekly podcast. Um, For our next season, we're going to be coming back on Wednesday, January 1st. You'll get an episode Wednesday, January 1st, and we will look forward to uh, seeing you again then. Scratch that. Let's call it Wednesday, January 8th. <laughs> Wednesday, January 8th. I look forward to seeing you then. If um, if you want more uh, content in the meantime, you've got loads of, you know, 140 some episodes of this show to listen to. You can always go back and re-listen and re-listen. You can hop over to YouTube and find us. Just look for Private Practice Workshop on YouTube. Get tons of free stuff there. Or you can take a bit of a break like me and just relax let some of your learning sink in, take a bit of a, uh, go on an, a bit of an information diet, and then come back after the new year totally ready to go. So there you have it. Another quick announcement. On Friday, we um, launched our, we did our live webinar, and we launched our new online training program. It's called Course Creation Academy, helping you learn how to create and launch a successful online course or membership site with our, fi- our proven five-step method. Even if you're not super tech savvy or don't have an audience, that stuff doesn't matter. You don't even need to have an idea for your program yet because we're going to help you um, uh, find your idea and validate your idea as well. So the the doors to that program actually closed last night, but we've had such a good response to it and we've had some people on the fence and we wanted to give them just one opportunity. That means that you have an opportunity if you want to jump in, we are for sure, for sure, for sure closing the doors tonight at midnight Eastern. If you want to join, I'll give you this link, and you, but you got to go there right now. It's privatepracticeworkshop.com forward slash join CCA. That's join CCA. The program is an eight-week program, but you'll get access to the materials and everything beyond that eight weeks, but we're pouring in a ton of support and coaching. You're going to work directly with me um, in this program. And I even have a special guest teacher as well joining me. But you're going to get a lot of time with me, time with our special guest teacher, uh, time with our exclusive community for CCA members only. Um, And it's going to be a blast. And we're going to be helping you build and launch a new income stream because the reality is you need to go beyond trading time for money. As a therapist, that's the biggest threat to your business. Okay, so that's really what this is all about. Um, That being said, Today, we're talking about money. We're talking about money with a certified financial planner, Mark Willis. And I want to say this. I had uh, some pause about releasing this episode. The reason is um, this is not a financial show. It's not a personal financial show for sure. Um, But I think it's important that we keep talking about money. And I've talked more about money on this show lately, and people generally like it. So um, Mark reached out to me, and I agreed to have him on the podcast knowing nothing about him. I think it was a really good conversation. And I think you can see for yourself and you can decide for yourself. What I will say is Mark is going to tell you about a very different way of doing 
financial planning. In fact, it's, it flies in the face of, uh, or whatever the saying is of most traditional financial planning. So that was one reason why I thought, Oh man, maybe I shouldn't release this. But then I'm like, you know what? We're all adults here. Um, at least as far as I know, if, I don't think there's any children listening to the show, but I could be wrong. If so, that's adorable. If not carry on. Um, so I think you can make your own decision, but what, what I came away with is there's a lot of different models out there. And just like learning, um, just like getting help with any part of our life or business, we need to be informed consumers. So that's why I'm airing this episode today, this uh, conversation with Mark Willis. Okay. That's enough for me. Let's get right into the episode. I'm happy you're here and let's dive in. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you for your patience with our technical difficulties. It wouldn't be a podcast without like five or six technical difficulties. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be with you. Yeah, we're uh, already overcoming the the <laughs> goblins in the in the machine. Uh, here we're recording this on Halloween, so I like to pretend it's like it's like a litmus test, you know, for frustration. How many microphones do we have to try, you know, before we get the podcast to work? That's right. <laughs> How many yep. web applications? it's a it's an exercise in perseverance and grit i think so yeah which maybe we'll talk about today who knows um uh, mark i was excited to connect with you and have you on the show talking about money is something is not only you know we've done a good bit on this show but something we need a lot more help with and we need a lot of kind of money people to to help us with it as counselors, therapists, psychologists, and private practice. So maybe, you know, uh, I already shared your intro uh, at the top of the show, but maybe give folks a bit more about kind of who you are and how you ended up um, uh, in the world you're in now. Yeah, absolutely. My history is not in finance originally. I stumbled across it due to my own uh, financial emergencies. Uh, My wife and I went through... um, undergrad and then grad school at private colleges and emerged from the, from the ashes of uh, that experience with uh, six figures of student loan debt. And uh, wow. we just so happened to uh, graduate in 2008. And that's, uh, by the way, a great time to be looking for work is at the very beginning of a major global financial recession (laughs) and uh, had, again, massive debts that were starting to be repaid that had no plan and no income to pay it all off. So, Wow. You, you better believe that that's a great experience or at least a great impetus or motivator for getting serious about your own personal finance. And that okay. then led me into seeing how I could serve other people with the same passion we had to get out of our own way and find awesome. a way toward financial sanity. I'm guessing you'd rather people learn about finance before they're in crisis. <laughs> or before, yeah. But, but, but yeah, uh, that's quite the motivator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, I feel like uh, we're already uh, 45 minutes into that movie, right? We're already yeah. halfway in and, and we're already in the crisis too often mm. as business owners, as um, folks that are trying to you know, help your clients uh, listen carefully mm. to their own psyche with money, their own relationships with money. But too often, yeah. even, the, even the counselor might have uh, something to work through, right? We all might have something to deal with with our relationship with money. Yeah. And that's really what it is. It's, it's a relationship, just like anything else, a spouse relationship, sure. a relationship with a parent or a child. Money is just one more relationship. 
It's an interesting way to think about it. Can can we just dive right in and talk a bit about debt? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I I think there is a major problem. I think there was a uh, um, statistic that came out. Uh, the um, let me find it here. The U.S. Department of Commerce Bureau uh, has been around for a very long time. So, like at the very end of the last major Great Depression, nineteen forty, I have some statistics here. If you made like a dollar, what would what would that dollar typically go toward? And you know, there's really only four places you can put money. There's debt, taxes, savings, and then of course, lifestyle. Debt, taxes, savings, and lifestyle. So back in 1940, uh, approximately 11 cents on the dollar, um, if you're the average American, would have gone toward debt. I'm not sure about other countries or civilizations, but like 11 cents on the dollar uh, went to debt. In uh, the most recent statistics that we have is just a year ago, the number is now 36%, 36 cents on the dollar, now servicing interest payments on debt. So we've more than tripled our debt load and our savings used to be 30%. Now it's closer to 5% of our dollar goes to savings. So we've really, honestly, we've flipped, John, from, wow. from a, a saver's nation to a debtor's nation. And I assume that's probably pretty global in most developed countries. So that is the, the, the starting point of the problem. Um, and as a certified financial planner, you know, we, we can manage a lot of things, but if we can't get a hold of our lifestyle problems, um, you know, and debt, it's going to be really hard. You know, what's really interesting though, is the, the lifestyle dollar number hasn't really changed all that much. We still spend about 40, 45 cents on the dollar to service our lifestyle. I think where we're in trouble is we buy the car and the second car and the house and the bigger house and we get that graduate degree and we get those consumer credit cards and we're living to keep up with the Joneses. Again, greed, envy, and so forth are all things that no doubt come up in our conversations in the, in the therapist's office. But now we've got all these extra things. Our grandparents didn't have cell phones you know, or, or they didn't have that 3,000 square foot house that we might carry together with our mm-hmm. spouse today. It's why, you know, single income earner households may not be as common as they were, you know, 70 years ago. Yeah. We need to make more money to buy more stuff, to pay for the bigger house that we don't need and the nicer car that yeah. we don't need or can't afford. Right. There's yeah. a tremendous yeah. illusion of wealth as well. Um, I remember for the first time, uh, or for example, I went to Miami with some friends and I remember I was like, everyone here drives a luxury car. This is incredible. These people must be loaded. And then by chance or not, the next week I found a documentary about people who drive luxury cars in Miami and how much debt they're wow. in. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And it was just about the whole myth of it, right? And the whole myth and the image uh, and, and whatnot. But of course we make that assumption, right? That, wow, this, they must be doing really well. They have the bigger house or the nicer car. Um, and debt is for sometimes at first glance a bit invisible, right? Right. Well, it, it is. It's, it's kind of the hidden viper in your portfolio. And especially today with low interest rates, the mortgages at 4% in the United States, you know, car loans at 1% or 2% sometimes if you have good credit history, uh, student loans, you know, even 0% interest credit cards, the interest rate on the debt is not the problem. You know, it's really not. The, it's, it's sort of like when you get an injection for the flu shot or something like that. It's not so much the rate at which that goes into your body. It's the volume 
that can either save you or kill you, Got right? It. The volume of your debt or our debt um, could be the difference between a, a successful thriving practice or a family uh, or an individual, even uh, you are our listener, right? It could be the difference between surviving or being flooded with, consumed by uh, uh, debt and even possible unfortunate bankruptcy for so many people. And I think there's a, a real kind of polyphasic problem. And that's a big $2 word I realized. So there's like three parts to the big problem I see with most people I chat with, especially business owners. One is, is, um, is debt. The second one is lifestyle. And the third is speculation. So I, I do think we've gone through all three of those phases. And most people I meet with, and by the way, as a CFP, a certified financial planner, I do think it should be required for most of us financial planners to take some uh, counseling classes because what is personal finance if it's not personal? Extremely personal. Right? I mean, we keep a box of tissues in our conference room for this reason. Um, so yeah, the, the problem with most financial lives and relationships I see with money is, yeah, we're all chasing after the proverbial Joneses our lifestyles are getting bigger. So we're having to take on more and more debt, which crowds out our ability to save. And so what happens is the little bit we can save, I think the statistic I read earlier was 5% of our income is able to be saved, five cents on the dollar. And that's, that's literally for our emergency funds, our flat tires, our retirement accounts, uh, the kids' college fund, the medical emergency, the job loss, is 5% really gonna be able to manage all of those things. No, of course not, right? So what most people come to me and say is, hey, Mark, you know, I really can't save 30 cents on the dollar like our grandparents used to. So I'm going to have to put my 5% of my money into riskier and riskier assets, you know, chase that rate of return and hope that my uh, rate of return will be higher to make up for my lack of ability to save. And that's really where that's, in my opinion, that's the crux of the matter. We've gone from a nation of, savers to debtors to speculators. And that brings us to the retirement crisis we're in where the average 55-year-old has less than a year's salary saved in all of their retirement accounts combined. One year. If you're at age 55 and you have less than a year saved, um, that's a problem, right? We have, we have some serious work to do at that point. So that's where we start most of our conversations, unfortunately. Um, I've got two questions. One is, I don't know how much we can kind of get into, let's say, um, how much should I have saved? I'm sure all your clients are asking you that. And I'm sure there's some nuances to the question, right? In terms of assets, real, you know, what else do you own, et cetera, et cetera. Do you have kids and whatnot? But any guidance around that would be super helpful. And then the other thing is thinking about debt in the, pers in the perspective of therapists in private practice or therapists who start a business and already have a lot of debt, let's say from graduate school, usually the culprit, how, how should they approach their business differently at all? Or should they get a full-time job and just pay off that debt before they start a business, et cetera? Like what, how can you help us around that stuff? Wow. Yeah, that's great. And every person's story is going to be a little different. What, how many years do you have to go before you need to hang up your boots, so to speak? Yeah. Uh, and the good news in this profession for um, you, the listener, is that you could possibly work a little longer uh, than, say, someone in a, a factory or construction job if you wanted to, if you needed to. Uh, I also don't think there's going to be a quick 
um, uh, robo counselor out there anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. Now we could be wrong, but you yeah, never know. They've already yeah. tried it actually. Is that right? Back in the nineties, wow. it was, uh, <laughs> it was actually really early AI. Um, and it was a chat, uh, a chat therapist basically. And they were able to mimic, um, some of the things that therapists would say based on decision-making trees and stuff. It's fascinating. But the point wow. is, no, I feel pretty good about our job security. In fact, even in the midst of, you know, a recession or, or another potential recession, yeah, people still need therapy. But anyway, that's right. Well, and maybe more so. In fact, uh, right. the the journal JAMA, Journal of American Medical Association, um, recently came out with uh, what they call the wealth shock. It's a medically um, induced uh, trauma on your physical body when the stock market drops by ten percent or more. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Literally, there yeah. is a 3.5 times fold increase in heart attacks uh, and people showing up at the ER when your portfolio drops. So my first recommendation for most people is, one, can we live within our means? That's the hardest and biggest problem. Or I guess I could say the biggest challenge is the first most rudimentary um, step you can take is, am I uh, running out of money before I run out of month? Am I running out of money before I run out of month? If, if so, there are so many ways you could increase your income and it can be so creative these days. I mean, literally with your smartphone, you can come up with almost any number of ways to boost your income needs if you had to. And it's not glamorous and it's not glorious, but maybe it means grabbing an Uber um, side hustle if you had to, right? Maybe yeah. it's uh, getting that certification to start offering additional services to your, to your yeah. clients, right? I really like this and you don't even know how much I like this because <laughs> when I started my first practice in San Francisco, I have always been quite debt averse and I was so opposed to taking out a small business loan to get, you know, office furniture or even a business credit card to get office furniture that I still, I couldn't afford yet. Right. Um, all this stuff to rent the office, pay the deposit, all this stuff. And so I worked a full-time job, which wasn't paying me enough to even live. I drove Lyft and Uber every night and weekend while I built my business yeah. right, to make sure that I didn't have to, 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 to go into debt. Cause it also, it changes your relationship to your business, right? Um, mm -hmm. It puts a certain amount of combustion uh, kind of like it's like compression maybe on, on the business itself. And there's already a lot of pressure that, that new business owners feel when they're launching a business for the first time. A lot of people liken it to, you know, their baby, like having a baby. Uh, it's this yeah. new thing you've got to take care of and grow and you've never done it before. And then you do it, let's say, with $100,000 of debt over your head or a bunch of credit card debt, even just to, to get the office set up. And it, it just adds another layer of pressure to everything you do in the business. For, for some people now, I'm sure other people are able to manage the debt more, you know what I mean, more kind of mm -hmm. uh, yep. matter of fact, but in general. Yep. yep, it's true. So, you know, just like you wouldn't throw an airplane off a cliff before trying a wind speed test first in a controlled environment, maybe try your hand at this uh, business owner thing with another guaranteed stream of income. Maybe it's a spouse that's willing to float the bills for a time while you get your uh, practice up and running. Uh, but the, the very next thing you do after you've been able to figure out how to live within your means is where do we put the dollars? Literally, the, the second most important question in any financial plan is, what do I want my money to do for me? Because where you put money will make it act different. And that sounds like such a simple, obvious statement until you really dig into it. I've met more people 
who, uh, upon any even initial reflection on their money, realize that their money is in all the wrong places. For example, you know, a hedge fund is going to make your money act different than a savings account. I'm talking about in terms of guarantees and taxes and accessibility and protection from being sued. You know, all of these things are usually people have an opinion on. Um, For example, if they believe taxes are going to go up in the future and yet they're putting all of their money in a 401k or IRA, that's cognitive dissonance. That creates stress, right? That's a stress load that whether we realize it or not, you know, if all of our money is in credit cards, which, you know, if we're using our credit cards like, um, like checking accounts and we have run up the balances and never pay them off, there will be a, a psychological toll that's paid both in terms of your business, but also your, possibly your marriage, the way you interact with your clients, uh, chasing them down for bills and invoices paid and that sort of thing. So where you keep your cash and how you manage the dollars that you didn't have to spend last month or last year is so huge. And that's why we really focus on, especially with our business owner clients, uh, to think carefully about accessibility. You know, especially for the business owner, we need liquidity. Liquidity is the word for accessing the cash, like getting access to it within a week or so not tying it up in our home mortgage, paying off our home mortgage early is a problem if we need cash, right? Mm -hmm. Um, For example, the house is not guaranteed to grow. You can't get the money out of the house if you beg a banker for it, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They might or might not say yes. Uh, There's no interest earned on a mortgage payment. You know, there's no, you're not earning any interest on that. It's a zero interest Mm -hmm. savings, you might say. Yep. Yeah. 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 So there's, Again, it's a, it's a process of discussions, not unlike a, a therapy session in some ways. You've, mm-hmm. given, you've given this person finally the, the opportunity and the space to think critically about yeah. where do I want my money to live? What do I want my money to do for me? And it's a thought ex- yeah. exercise that I find to be really valuable for myself, but also for our clients. This is huge because, uh, Mark, something I teach a lot on this show is, and to the therapists I work with is, in, in order to outsource something successfully, you need to know what you're outsourcing, what questions to ask, Yeah, right? You need to be an informed consumer enough to come up to the table and go, uh, you know, here are my questions about your product or service or how you do things. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I want to avoid, et cetera. Otherwise, you, you go to anyone or you go to, let's say, uncertified financial planners and you mm-hmm. go, yeah, invest my money. And they go, cool, it's a 0% fee or whatever, 0% you know, something or other. And then fees are tucked in here and there. And I mean, there's just yep. a lot of ways to, uh, to start on the wrong foot with someone when it comes to your, so true. your finances. So if, for people who are thinking about getting help with their business or their finances, business and or personally, what do you think are the questions they should ask and, and kind of look for it? Well, wow, that's great. And you bring up a good point. I mean, the Department of Labor actually did a study on fees. If you're only paying a 1% fee on your money, which the average IRA is 1.5%, so it's even worse than this. But if you're only paying a nominal 1% on all the sales costs, the wrap accounts, the 12B1 fees, if you added all those up, most people never can or do because they're buried so deep in their prospectus and, and so forth and you got a 7% return on your money, you'd actually lose one third of your life savings to fees. Let that sink in for a minute. If you're working this hard for all of your uh, years of saving and ability to live within your means, to have a third of it gone 
to the investment advisor who set this up for you, according to the Department of Labor, over 30 years, a third of your life savings, think of that, that's 1% a year, right? A third has gone to that guy or gal who set up that brokerage account for you. Um, that would make me angry, right? I would be uh, unable to touch that money, and yet that advisor is taking a third of my nest egg, and that's before taxes are factored in. So, right. so yeah, that's an important question. Mm-hmm. Well, you, no, I think, I think your, your question is the best one, right? If, if you had a dollar to put somewhere, um, what sort of characteristics or attributes would you want that dollar to have? Um, you know, do, you want, <laughs> do you want a 1% fee on your money? Do you want um, speculative loss, possible, possible gain? right? Do you want risk involved in that $1? Uh, again, what do you want that money to do for you? Do you want accessibility, control of the money if you needed to get access to it? Do you want that money to be protected if one of your clients decide to sue you? Do you want that money outside of uh, your business or inside your business where they could get access to it in a lawsuit? Um, so, you know, do you want that um, money to be able to be used so you never have to depend on credit cards or banks or finance companies the next time you need to buy office furniture. I've seen some counselor's offices. I believe in the power of counseling, but I also believe in the power of good, decent furniture in the, in the office. For I've sure. seen some old furniture in some of these offices, right? Um, do you, what do you think about taxes? Are they going to be lower or higher in the future? Uh, you know, these are important questions that only, the, only you, the listener, can answer. Uh, but, you know, I've found that there are specific financial vehicles that are better or worse for the business owner uh, than others. So, for right. example, if you have a 401k, but you need access to that money, you can't get it until you're 59 and a half years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and typically, 401ks aren't dropping out of the sky when we set up our own practice, right? Yeah. I, didn't, yeah. I didn't get handed a 401k when I started this business. I'm sure most of the <laughs> listeners shocked. didn't get one either, right? <laughs> yeah. That'd be nice if you did. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You'd have a really good boss. Right. But- yeah. You're the boss, so right. it's up to you. Go, going back for a second, Mark, to the like the fee structure. This is something to be honest. When I chose my first financial planner, I was really overwhelmed by, and to be honest, I'm still a little overwhelmed by it. It there's so many ways of setting this up, right? So mm-hmm. obviously you can explain them better. But when I was looking at it, it's like okay, you have some people who are flat rate. You just pay them a flat rate to advise you, help you set everything up, monitor. Yep quarterly reviews and whatnot, you pay them a flat rate, your investments yep. are your investments. You have some that earn when you win, right? So when your investments are, are gaining, they, they earn a percentage of that. Then you have others who are basically commission-based, almost like a sales charge. So I buy a mutual fund or something and their sales charge is 5% or whatever, paying mm-hmm. that money, that fee is kind of done. But then there might also be fees tucked in later. Right. How do I make sense of all this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tricky. I mean, even if you, let's, let's take, for example, the purest of the pure, the fee-only advisor. And as a certified financial planner, you know, we work as fiduciaries for our clients in the best interest of those that we're working for. Can, can you explain right? what that is really quick? Because again, that was a new term to me as well. When I, sure. and I A lot of people, a lot of my clients still don't know what that is. The idea of a fiduciary? Yeah. Yeah, that's another $2 word. Sorry for all these today. But um, yeah, it's really just, you know, the, the government, the US government's way of sort of indicating um, that you are working on the same side of the table as your client. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with that word, even as I am classified as one as a certified financial planner. Uh, and the reason why I'm not a giant fan of just promoting that word is, I mean, heck, 
we cannot regulate morality, right? I mean, Bernie Madoff was a fiduciary for his clients and look where that led them. So you cannot expunge uh, a problem child just by giving them a name tag, like the I word suppose fiduciary. It's the same with, we hope that all therapists who are licensed, professional, whatever, right. you know, are doing good by their clients, but some unfortunately do harm. Right. Yeah. I mean, it could be, we could go down that discussion too. I mean, the, the, you know, the Catholic church and other churches are dealing with same issues, right? So it's not, you can't put a label on someone and say that this person is good or wrong or bad. I will say that, you know, trust is the basis for all relationships. And I don't care if I'm paying someone a commission, an asset center management fee or a flat fee. I want to know what those are before I get into any kind of relationship with that person. And do I trust that they're going to be working in my best interest? That's, that's something that I know I would want to have a conversation with the advisor about, and he or she should be willing to disclose, hey, you know, here's the overall costs, not just my fee, but the actual cost of this account, whatever it might be. What are the risks I'm taking? What are the taxes going to be? Because that's another fee if you think about it, right? Um, So building all that into the discussion, coming with those questions uh, to the advisor relationship, it'd be not unlike... Um, your client coming to you with a list of questions about your methods, your philosophy for counseling. You just want to have an informed discussion going into a new client relationship. It'll just help the whole thing go much better. And fee-only advisors, um, you know, typically they'll give you some advice, a set set of recommendations, let's say, and then they'll point you in the direction of someone who will charge you a commission for it. You know, hey, go get this auto insurance. We need you to have this extra auto insurance. And then you go down the street and get a a policy that someone else makes a commission on. So, you know, it's sort of like, all right, commissions aren't going away. It's just a matter of, do you want to get a uh, a fee on top of that? So with that being said, and obviously you don't have to say, but is there a uh, kind of an approach that you prefer or that you and your team, um, you know, prefer when you work with clients? Because I think everyone's everyone listening is really benefiting from this right now. Some maybe know this stuff. A lot of people I think probably are just learning it or putting it together. But uh, from what I've talked to, I've talked to, again, you, I can put five financial planners in front of <laughs> me and everyone, it, it's the same with therapists. You take five different therapists and say, what method do you believe affects the most change for your clients? And they're all going to stand by their own, right? So right. there's not one, <laughs> you know, all knowing therapist at the top going, actually it's this. So, right. Yeah, that, that is to say maybe the same effect happens in the financial planning world. Well, you know, there's that old joke. If you get five rabbis in the room and ask them a question, you'll get 10 different answers. So yeah. there's, you know, there's certainly that. And my belief, and I have seen this through working with hundreds of clients around the country, uh, especially for the business owner, whether it's the solopreneur or someone with a few uh, partners uh, in a practice, and a number of our clients are... Um, do run or operate a small um, uh, practice. The, the interesting thing is we want to find the smallest hinge that will swing the biggest door. So where do our monies need to live? Uh, well, I would want something that would grow in a predictable, guaranteed basis where I'd have access to that money, right? So by putting money into a 401k, IRA, SEP, solo 401k, one of those, I have actually shot my business in the foot. Because when I needed that cash the most, the 401k, IRA, et cetera, won't give it to me, right? And by keeping that money in safe 
predictable liquid funds. I have the opportunity fund I need to grow my practice when necessary to expand our office space or, or expand into online presences like you've done uh, and have other platforms to grow my, my, um, my practice. If I, all that money was tied up in an IRA, I wouldn't be able to do that. If I wanted to be able to use that money for opportunities or emergencies, if my spouse was laid off, for example, or if I didn't get clients that I hoped I would get, I'd need access to cash. That's really where I feel traditional financial planning has really failed a lot of business owners. They'll tell you, hey, you know, get that SEP or that IRA or that 401k, just don't look at it for 40 years and just mm -hmm. try to run your business on the, on the scraps. So is, is what you're saying you prefer to be kind of heavy in liquid assets for all finance, personal finance and, and business finance or? Yeah, think, think of it this, good question. Yeah, so again, in, we're speaking in general terms today. Each person's different, but think of it this way. When I um, look at the portfolios of the elder, the, the silent generation, they have a lot of liquid pools of cash and they seem to live a sane financial life. When I meet people who are boomers, Gen X or millennials, the opposite is true. They have, and according to the Federal Reserve study uh, came out two years ago, $400 is the, is the amount of liquid money that the average American, 48% of Americans have only $400 in their emergency fund. And then they'd have to sell something or go into debt if they had an emergency more than $400. That is an upside down financial pyramid. Most of Americans' wealth these days, and again, I'm not sure about other countries, but I assume it's similar in many developed countries, most of the wealth is in illiquid assets, our home, our 401k, et cetera. We have almost nothing in liquid cash. And for the business owner, that spells disaster. That's why so many businesses fail or go Got out it. of business. It's cash flow issues, right? So is, you're saying that even if, let's say, a person has three to six months of, and this is my, this is my approach, this is kind of the Dave Ramsey approach, I have three to six months of cash and a business savings account meaning my salary, business expenses, et cetera, for when it rains, at least six months of that. I have the same thing on the personal side, right? And then I have, you know, my investments, my, my retirement accounts, uh, private stocks, et cetera. But, but is what you're saying, you think it should be even heavier on liquid assets or on savings? Yeah, you bring up a great point and good for you for having an emergency fund that's sufficient there. I think that's smart. Well, I only um, have that because... I had my own emergency a couple of years ago. Good man. <laughs> anyway. Well, think of it this way. Why not have an opportunity fund too? Not just emergencies, but an opportunity fund to grow that business. If you needed an extra hundred grand to expand your marketing presence or do something that only you know how to do because you're the expert in your business, if all of that money is emergency money and you don't have an opportunity fund for contingency cash to grow that business, like it's think of it like, the, the raw fuel uh, for, your, for your business. It, again, oxygen is the fuel here. So uh, cash is the fuel of your business like oxygen is the fuel for our bodies. If you have a ready supply of dry, dry goods, right, of dry capital that you can deploy uh, whenever in a, and whenever and anytime you see an opportunity in front of you, maybe it's a piece of real estate you want to buy that you then start renting out to other therapists. Maybe it's marketing, as I've mentioned. Maybe it's some other platform you'd like to build. If, if you've only got all your money in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds that are giving a third of your life savings over to the investment advisor and you have nothing else for your business, uh, that's, a tr that's a problem. Uh, kind of think of it like a barbell. You know, many businesses 
um, are very risky, right? It's, it's a speculative investment. Think of your business almost like a speculative investment in your portfolio. The most risky business you can be in is your own, right? Because, you know, it's a one stock portfolio. If your business is, is kind of the primary place you're building wealth. If you poured a bunch of money into a safe, guaranteed liquid asset that gives you good returns, we're not talking about savings accounts here. We're talking about giving you a decent, solid return, tax-free access to the cash. Would you consider a good, solid return? Yeah, I don't know, somewhere between 4 and 7% on your cash. Yeah. Not, not investment-like returns, but somewhere in that kind of middle-of-the-road, middle, yeah. uh, middle single digits. Better than a CD, better than a money market account. Got it. But certainly not as good as what a stock market might do, but it's guaranteed to do, you know, and that solid conservative yield. It's sort of a place for you to have access to big loads of cash for your business. It's almost like they help each other out. Got it's like it. nitro and glycerin. Okay. They work well together. This is interesting. I mean, this is a very different approach than, again, say the Dave Ramsey approach of everything in four types of mutual funds and yes. put it away forever. Um, yep. But this is a really interesting perspective. And, it, and you know, we've got just like two minutes left. But um, what I would say, you know, to folks listening is obviously, again, you, uh, I want to have more people on this show talking about finance because there's so many different ways of looking at it. Same way we look at psychology and the way we approach therapy. Um, so I really appreciate this different perspective that you have, Mark. Um, Mark, what else are we missing here to kind of wrap this up here? And man, I wish we had more time. I'll have to have you back on another time, but what else are we missing and what do you really want people to know? And then maybe you can just round it out with how they can get in touch with you. Sure. And, and the yeah. services you guys offer. You know, my, um, I'll tell a quick story and then a way to reach out. Um, my, um, my own story involves Dave Ramsey. Actually, I was first taking on his debt snowball method and going after it as hard and as fast as I could. And then I realized, um, actually it was a good mentor of mine that pulled me aside and sat me and my wife down and looked at, looked at me square in the eye and said, Mark, is it possible that Dave Ramsey might be wrong about something? And my jaw dropped. I honestly, my, my, um, my arms crossed and I honestly never thought critically about his advice. You know, he's a good Great radio host. He has a lot of good things to say about helping people become debt-free. I think he's probably the baby steps are a great start, but I don't ever want to live my life just taking baby steps. I want to run a marathon, right? I want to go miles and miles and miles. And there's so much more past the baby steps that you guys can, can learn more about if you want. But make sure it's with a trusted advisor that you are certain has been there before. Um, kind of like Gandalf or Morpheus or any of the other wonderful guides that you see in the great movies. You want to know that that person, your trusted advisor, has been up the mountain before. Uh, so Got walk it. with that person a few steps ahead or a mile ahead. Make sure that they're walking with you and in your and working in your best interest. That's awesome. that's what I'd recommend. Great advice. Cool. Uh, Go for it. Yep. Yeah. And best way to get in touch with us, if you'd like, uh, me and one of my advisors, our, our colleagues that I work with, um, we uh, have a specific philosophy that we think helps the business owner in particular. And if you go to freedomfromwallstreet.com, uh, you'll find that there's more out there in ways to build wealth that may even be more efficient for your um, counseling practice and give you a bit more um, peace of mind, help you sleep better at night as well. So freedomfromwallstreet.com. We'll put links to everything you need in the show notes, of course. Mark, thank you again. This is really enlightening and just really nice to be able to pick your brain and your openness and honesty and your own story and, and the fact that you have such a unique uh, approach. I can, I'm starting to put the pieces together a bit, so I'm going to have to have you on and ask you all sorts of other questions. But cool. this is really helpful, and I just can't thank you enough again for being on. 
Well, and the power that you're bringing to your listeners and all the listeners and their the lives that you guys are touching and changing, you've saved countless marriages and li- literal lives. So um, God bless you guys and good luck with um, continued uh, world-changing conversations. Thanks, Mark. See you soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this show wherever you're listening. Share the episode with a friend or two. And also, like I mentioned at the top of the show, this marks the break um, coming up on our next season on, what did I say, January 8th, Wednesday, January 8th. We look forward to seeing you then. In the meantime, enjoy some old content if you want. It's old, but good. Oldies, but goodies. And um, like I said, if you want a chance to join Course Creation Academy, then today is the day. We just decided to extend the doors for one day. They close tonight, east, uh, midnight Eastern. That's the final answer. And I don't know when this program is going to be opening again. Definitely not anytime soon. So if you want to jump in, now's the time to do it. PrivatePracticeWorkshop.com forward slash join CCA. That's join CCA, all one word. Uh, we'll put the link in the description. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you have a great holiday season. Enjoy some time off uh, with your loved ones. And I look forward to seeing you again in the new year. All right. Cheers to you. And I'll see you real soon. All right. Bye-bye.